Welcome to your effing 40s. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Harding. And I'm Leanne McLeod. Thank you for listening and enjoy. And we are back. Hello, Corey. Hey, Leanne. So, Paul. Hi. Paul, you've got such a history. First off, off the top, you're Cree. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Born in... My uh, birth family is from uh, the Beardies and Okamasis First Nation at Duck Lake, Saskatchewan. So if you know your Canadian history, Duck Lake is where the second Riel Rebellion, the Northwest Rebellion happened in the town of Duck Lake. So that's where I'm from. But I was born in Saskatoon, but I was raised in Regina. So I'm a Saskatchewan boy. Okay. With the Cree thing too, my people are called the Willow Cree which I think is an awesome name. And I, I have to do more research on that. So there's divisions of Cree. Like there's different, Indonesia. yeah, because Cree are all over. <laughs> they're, they're all over this country. Yeah. Like, I think it's one of the biggest Aboriginal nations in the country. They span a good chunk of Canada. That particular area, they're called the Willow, the Willow Cree. Cree. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Now you moved out to Calgary and you moved out as a school teacher. Yeah, yeah. And then very quickly got job in news? I moved out here because I got my BA in poli-sci at the University of Regina. I wanted to be, be a lawyer, and but I talked to some people who had gone through the program or going through the program, and the things they told me about it, I, I was kind of like, mm, I'm not sure if that's for me. I had no idea. I had no idea what the fuck I wanted to do. But in my family, there was all these educators, and I remember my dad he always had the summers off and he could play with us. He played sports with me and my brother all the time. And so I decided, cause I on it, what do you, who knows what the hell they're going to do at 17 years old yeah. Yeah. when you graduate, yeah, you're expected no. to, right. Who has that figured out yet? Unless you're one of those kids where, you know, when you're tiny that yeah. I know I'm going to be a teacher, I know I'm going to be a firefighter or something like that. I really didn't know what the hell I wanted to do, but it was expected, especially my family, they placed a huge emphasis on education. So it wasn't like, yeah, you're going to sit around and do nothing, pal. You're, yeah. you're going to, you know, you're, you're going to get a job to help pay for your education. Right. And, you, but you're going to school basically. And your dad was a principal. He was a principal. And then he became a superintendent with Regina Catholic back in the day. Anyway. So I, I decided what the hell I really enjoyed social studies when I was in in high school, I really enjoyed political science. So I thought maybe I'll go into education and become a social studies teacher. So they were always the weirdest teachers anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they had a guy who was a recruiter who came from Calgary to Regina to the campus. And he was recruiting from Calgary Catholic. Yeah. He was recruiting all these people that were in their last semester. My brother sees me because we were in the same program at the same time. He sees me in the hallway. He goes, hey, this guy, his name is Ron Thompson. He's from Calgary Catholic. Maybe you want to talk to him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I fucked off. I went to the, the, the university pub and, and skipped a couple <laughs> classes, had some beers. And then at the end of the day, I'm walking through and somebody goes, yeah, that guy's leaving soon. He was just down the hallway. So I popped my head in. Talked to him for like five minutes. Well, two weeks later, I get this phone call from this dude from Calgary Catholic. He goes, remember we were talking? I was like, yeah. 
there's a position that's come open with the FNMI department. Back then, it was called the Native Education Department. And so I flew out here, did the interview, and at the end of the day, they said, uh, and I thought, I come from Regina, so I thought that was a big city. When I landed in Calgary, that was my first time, A, on a plane. B, I'd never been in a, at that time, it was 600,000 people. I thought it was this massive city. So I did the interview in the morning, and I had the whole day to kill, so I just spent walking around downtown for dinner. I went into Chinatown. This first time on my own in a Chinese restaurant, <laughs> they, they come with the menu and they go, okay, what do you want? And I was like, eh. <laughs> I had no idea what to order. Yeah. So I said, I love chicken fried rice. So I'll take the chicken fried rice. And I got this massive platter of chicken fried rice. And I was like, just chowing on this thing. And he said, call us at five o'clock. We'll have an answer for you. And they still had pay phones. So I used the pay phone. <laughs> In the Chinese food restaurant, I called and they go, yeah, congratulations. You got the job if you want. I was like, fucking A. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of region. I, I was so sick of it by that point. I flew home. Who picks me up? My dad and my brother from the airport. And they go, so how'd it go? I go, fuck, I got the job. And my dad, dad's being dads. He goes, well, son, you might want to weigh the pros and cons first. He goes, uh, besides, by the way, he goes, when you were gone, there was three or four school boards from Saskatchewan that had called me that day for jobs to offer me jobs because I was Aboriginal and I had two university degrees. So I was in high demand. So I said, fuck that. I'm out of here. I I need to get out of, out of Regina. It it was just time to um, experience something different. Move out here. I was an itinerant teacher with the Catholic school board for four years and then I literally stumbled my way into broadcast journalism because I was like 20, 23, I think, when I moved out here. And with the FNMI department, they had these parent councils. And then somebody approached me and said, hey, do you want to be on the board of directors for what was then called Native Awareness Week? And I'm like, yeah, sure. That sounds cool. Yeah. The guy who was the executive director, he was this Métis guy from BC. He was the executive director. He had worked out a deal with what was then two and seven. And they were shooting a documentary of Native Awareness Week. So I was at all these events. I always saw the same cameraman and the same producer at all these events. And we just got to chatting. Well, at that time, seven before it was yeah, this before it was global. Before yeah. it was global. Okay. And I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher. Okay. Benny and Buckshot. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and yeah. Waylon. Okay. Yeah. Well, my buddy Terrence, because I was into creative writing at the time. Yeah. So I was writing poetry and I was writing little short stories and little, little things like that. Yeah. He read this story I wrote about a family who moves off the res into a big city and their mm. trials and tribulations. He goes, do you mind if I pass this on to the president of two and seven? I was like, yeah, go right ahead. Well, fuck. A couple of weeks later, I'm teaching Native studies to these little kids, and they were in the BA class. You know what BA stood for? Yep. Behavior adaptation. <laughs> Everyone called it bad attitude class, right? That was the joke. Well, these kids, they were so fucking funny. Yeah. And they were like grade six, and they were just, <laughs> they smart. made me laugh all the time. Okay. Yeah. And whenever I'd go, what do you think about this? And he, you know how he'd respond? I'm not shitting you. He'd always go, <laughs> every time. 
How are you? Every fucking time, and it would always make me laugh. He was always calling people chunky for some reason. He was on this kick. And there's a, a trickster character in a Cree legend or Cree legends, and his name is Wasakacha. Well, he called him Wasaka Chunk. <laughs> like, and so they would do stuff like this, and they would make me laugh my ass off. So I'm teaching Native Studies to these kids, and then suddenly I get this, Mr. Custer, you have a phone call on line one. And I'm like, okay, guys, I got to go take this. Don't burn the fucking classroom down, right? <laughs> and I knew right away they were probably thinking, okay, where's the gasoline? Where's the matches? <laughs> so I went down to the staff room, and I had to take this phone call, and this dude, he goes, hi, is this Paul Custer? I go, yeah. He goes, my name's Noel Wagner. I'm like, hi, Noel. I go, who are you? He goes, I'm the president of Two and Seven. He goes, your friend, we've got a mutual friend, Terrence Armstrong. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he gave me a copy of your story. I would love to talk to you about it. And because I was wanting to get into film and television, because guess what was starting north of 60? My co-worker, his wife, was one of the casting directors for it. So that's how I got into Yeah. Okay, so th- this how the how the fucking universe works. Things are meant to happen for a reason. Why did I move out here? Because I it led it opened so many doors. Yeah. So I had this big fascination with getting into television and film. So why does this happen? Why do I get this phone call from this guy? Because my buddy Terry gives him this story. He goes, We want to have a meeting with you. And I'm like, awesome. So I went to the station. I meet this guy. And they give me a contract to turn my short story into a script. And this is when I'm thinking about getting into television and film. So this is the first script I wrote. They never produced it. I realize now what they were doing. They were filling their CanCon, their Canadian content to keep their broadcast license. But what I got out of it was that, A, I got a professional writing credit. And I got paid, man. I got paid really well. It was a half-hour episode, but it never got produced. But I got a professional writing credit. Well, that had the hook in me about television and film. So we had some meetings about the story and all this stuff. And then it was a couple weeks later after that initial meeting. This was in spring of 93. He goes, you ever thought about... uh, I remember he, we were having president, a, still the president. This is the president. We're yeah. sitting in his office and we had a couple meetings, okay, over the like a couple weeks, right? <laughs> and the last one we had, he goes, You know what? He goes, You seem like a pretty confident guy. And I'm like, Fuck, is this going to turn into like, um, what is that? Uh, the marionette. The okay. marionette. Okay. Captain America? No. Team America? Oh, Team America. Team America. Yeah, yeah. I was like, is this going to turn in? Now suck my cock. And the irony is the University of Regina has one of the best journalism programs in the country. If you're of a, of a certain age, Knowlton Nash, Paul, Pamela Wallen, yeah. mm-hmm. that's where they went. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all these major, Arthur Kent went yeah. to the U of R. Yeah. Okay? It's a well-renowned, top-notch yeah. journalism school. I never thought about it. Yeah. When I, and I was going there. Yeah. And I had all these friends that were in it, and they're all journalists all over North America or wherever. 
And I was like, no, I said, I'd never thought about it. And he goes, you're a teacher, right? And I was like, yeah. He goes, so do you get like, you get time off, don't you? I go, yeah, you got the summer off. This is in the spring. He goes, what would you think about coming here and hanging out here at the station for the summer? We'll pay you and you're going to job shadow. And I said, fucking job shadow. What? (laughs) He goes, reporter. And I was like, okay, that was my end. I thought after that, that summer, they would say, thank you, Paul, for coming out. And if you really want to consider this as a career, we suggest going to Mount Royal or, or taking, right. Well, no, all I did was job shadow, job shadow, job shadow. At the end of that summer, I finally did my first story and it was on the new business park at the Satina nation. Okay. And that day was the most stressful because that's the first time I'm actually getting something and it goes to air that same day. And the cameraman, because this is the whole other issue. So people hated me there because I didn't go to journalism school. I was native. Okay, who is this guy? I, I was yeah. just suddenly in the newsroom. People are, who is this guy? Suddenly, So I got all this backlash, right? But it was all behind my back. It was all yeah. behind my back. So that was very uncomfortable. And that first shoot, that my first story, at the time they were still using beta. Usually you would, if, if you knew what you were doing, all you needed is one, maybe two tapes. Yeah. yeah. This guy shot so much, I had five or six tapes. And he did that on purpose because he wanted to say, fuck you. Yeah. Let's see how he handles this. He'll, he'll probably crumble. Yeah. And it was so stressful, but I got it done yeah. and it went to air. And I was at the station watching my first professional news story. That was pretty cool. And it was awful because I didn't, I didn't know the, the writing process yet. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know how to speak on camera. Uh, pardon me. And, and on tape when you're editing, when you lay your voice down. Yeah. And my voice went up and it, it went down and it went up yeah. and it went down. And it was just awful. But that was my first experience. And I was like, damn, if they allowed it, if they vetted it and said, yeah, it's good enough to go to air. I was like, maybe I got something here. Yeah. End of that summer, he hauls me in again. And he goes, we want you to consider a career change. And I'm like, like, are you kidding? He goes, yeah, we want to hire you full time as a reporter. All right. So you're full-time as a reporter at Global, and we're going to get into that because you've got some great stories. Effing's 40 show is sponsored by The Blind Beggar Pub, John William Wade Associates, and Tightfit Drywall. Thank you for listening. Okay, so now you're you're working at Global, and you've been there, well, you had 10 years at Global. 12. 12 years yep. old, and you're writing a book now, kind of, it's a fiction, piece of fiction, but it's mm-hmm. based on your years there and sort of conglomeration of stories. Is, is that the best way to... You, uh, if you're a writer, um, and same thing with comedy, because you know this, yeah. right? Because you're a comedian, right? You have to write what you know. Yeah. And I remember Ron Vaudry telling me years ago, we were doing a tour of Northern Alberta and BC, and we're in my... We're in my truck. I had a Dodge Ram at the time. And we were on some beautiful highway. And we were just talking about life and about comedy. And I was just learning the craft at that time. And I really still didn't know what I was doing. And he said, you know what, Paul? If you just try and write a joke, he goes, it'll never work. It'll never happen. 
he goes, you have to write what you know, what comes up in conversation. If other people are laughing at something, you've got something there. And I always took that to heart. And I've got friends through my experiences because becoming a reporter, you have to write your own stories. So that's something that a lot of people don't understand. They think someone else is helping you write your story. No, when you get assigned, Leanne, like a homicide story, you know what? You are the one going out doing all the research. You're talking to the victims' families. You're talking to the cops. You're talking to lawyers. You're talking to all this stuff. It's up to you to write that. Well, how do you write well, effectively, efficiently, and something that's going to hold somebody's attention? You have to write to the pictures. Yes. That's what television news is all about. You got to write to the pictures. So it took me a long time to develop that. But the longer I was doing it, and you, you were writing every single fucking day. And it was under pressure because yeah. you had a deadline to meet. I got off on that. It was stressful as hell, but it was so rewarding when you saw what you had created. And there were maybe there were other reporters covering the exact same story, but the, my goal was to try and do it differently than everybody else. You yeah. finished the product. Yes. And the biggest compliment I ever got, because I really took that to heart, I really strived for that was Pat Clayton, who was the trainer for the Calgary Stampeders. I had to go to get a clip from some football player on the way back from a news story because all the sports guys were tied up. They called us and said, Paul, can you grab a clip from whoever? Uh, Yeah, no problem. So we're walking across the field of McMahon. That was the other cool thing about being in the news because you got to to do cool things, man. One, One day you'd be doing a homicide here. The next day, you're doing a story about grizzly bears in Banff National Park and all the people you would meet and the experiences you had. So that was really cool. But he comes up to me, Pat Clayton. I'm walking uh, down this sideline and I knew who he was because I, you know, I'm a sports freak and I knew who Pat Clayton was. And he comes up to me and I'd never met him before. He comes up, he goes, Paul Custer. Isn't that funny how everyone yeah. does that? Yeah. Everybody does that. Yeah. It's never Paul or Custer. Or it's always Paul Custer. Yeah. Well, that's not what I called you, but okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul Custer. I, I love that. Paul Custer, fuck. <laughs> but he comes up to me and he shakes my hand. He goes, I'm Pat Clayton. I go, I know who you are. And he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, uh, my wife and I watch the news all the time. And he goes, you're our favorite reporter. I was like, A, flattered, yeah. because that's nice to hear when people say nice things about your work. I said, that is so kind of you. I thank you so much. And he goes, your stories are different from others. And that meant the world to me. But it's story writing. It's storytelling. Okay. You have to write what you know. Yeah. So this character I'm writing is based on me, an indigenous television reporter who's a victim of the 60s scoop, who's pretty fucked up, but he's good at what he does. He's got these relationships with these people within his newsroom, but more importantly, with the other, with his colleagues in the industry. And these are print reporters. Yeah. Okay. And this is based on reality because you were part of that, Corey. Yeah. We used to <laughs> do comedy at the <laughs> bikini bar, Coco's, up by the airport. Yeah. Thursday That's night, our, our buddy Stu Hughes with the Bunny Fest. They had a showroom in the back. <laughs> And it was, it was a bikini bar. So when I was getting into comedy, our mutual friend had Thursday night comedy at Coco's. So I always used to go there. And who was there? 
I'm a reporter at the time, just getting into comedy. Mm -hmm. Well, some of the people from the print that were really close to global, the Calgary Sun. And I'm not sure how many of them are still there, but there was a whole group of them that would go there on Thursday nights and they'd just drink in the bar part. And sometimes they'd come into the back and watch the comedy. Well, that's who this guy's friends are. Okay. And because we used to drink and we used to party together. All right. And we would share stories and you can't write this shit. For instance, well, the, uh, like Ralph Klein, God bless him back in the day when he was a reporter with CFCN, he was infamous for this. He would go on benders on the reserves around Calgary. (laughs) He would disappear. Yeah. He showed up at my best friend. He's from the Blood Nation, the Kainai Nation, yeah. and uh, down by Lethbridge. Yeah. <laughs> he showed up at my buddy's grandmother's house at three in the morning going bang, 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 in the middle of a thunderstorm. Bang, 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 at her door. <laughs> she gets up, this little old lady. Soon to be Calgary's open, mayor. Yeah. Opens the door, and there's Ralph Klein in his suit without any shoes he's just got a sock and it's pouring rain it's three in the morning this massive thunderstorm hey you got a phone (laughs) and she didn't have a phone so she watched him walk off into the into the darkness no shoes have you ever been that white girl wasted it's like white girl wasted oh god yeah 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 (laughs) because it it, it did become a problem a major problem in my life uh, based on past trauma and how did how do you handle past trauma let's let's go to that because you just met, you mentioned the scoop, yeah. and uh, I don't think enough people, nearly enough people, even understand what this is. I actually had no idea until you told me today. Is that right? No. You, you, you've heard of residential school. Well, yeah. From okay, but okay. This is, here, here's here's the whole point. So I'm teaching in a school district here in Calgary, and that's become part of the mandated curriculum in grade ten social studies. The curriculum is globalization. And the second unit of study, the first one is on identity. The second unit is historical legacies. So they talk about residential schools. So that's mandated now. So people know about this shit now, okay? okay? Which is positive. No one knows about the scoop. That's what you call it. It's called the scoop. The official name is 60 scoop. So what it was, was it was forced assimilation. And this is what happened in my case after I was born, like literally... My mother on the birthing table, they took me and they just took me away. Like if she protested or or anything like that, they would just tell the doctors and nurses and they would often have people from like social services there saying, no, no, no. We think this is best for your baby. It's going to have a better future if it's taken away now. And my mother, she didn't drink and she didn't party and or, <laughs> or anything like that. Wow. And so I wound up as the, what I love to call, I was the flavor of the month. So what happened before I came the flavor of the month, I was taken away and I was put into a foster home for the first year and a half of my life. And then I was put up for adoption and they used to advertise indigenous babies, little kids in the papers. So I was the flavor of the month in the Regina leader post. That's why I wound up growing up in Regina. So I was between right in the adoption section between the cats and the dogs. My my new adopted name wasn't Paul. The first choice was was Fido. <laughs> then they said, "No, no, no. He he yeah. seems more like a like a Rex." I seem 
dog's name Paul. <laughs> so the scoop it ran for about fifteen years from 16, at least 16, at least it was it went all the way I understand like through to the early eighties. Getting into that, what was the process? Like, were these people paying big money for you? Like, what was the situation and how did they process it through the government? Again, it was this unwritten policy, because it was a policy of forced assimilation. And it was supported by the government and the doctors. So it was supported by the medical community, social services, and the government, right? It's that worldview It's the old European worldview where basically white is right and indigenous culture was never understood. It was never respected. These people are savages. They need to be civilized. It's it's, it's the white man's burden. Rudyard Kipling, the white man's burden. That's what it was. Colonialism, imperialism. And it still exists today. Some of the people, their intentions may have been well-placed because they didn't understand Indigenous culture, indigenous issues. There's a reason why there's so much poverty. There's a reason why there's so much alcoholism, substance abuse, domestic violence. It's a cycle that just keeps repeating. And it's you can thank the Indian Act for that. Mm-hmm. And just pure outright racism. So when I tried to find my family, I was lied to. A, they don't want you to find your family. So when I called, finally, when I was in university, that's when the calling deep in my heart and soul was yanking at me saying you have to find out who you are who i am okay because i grew up in regina and holy shit man back in the day that was a super racist fucking city and i grew up in a white neighborhood and in the in the the back alley in the back alley i used to play tons of sports and i loved basketball my dad built me a backboard basketball backboard so i'd go shoot hoops in the back alley for hours yeah and you could always see because it's regina so it's flat as flat Prairie Town. You could see from, we were in the south end of town, the alley system, it went, it was just a straight line. You could see for blocks and blocks and blocks. So for blocks and blocks and blocks, you could see the homeless native guys that were bottle picking in the garbage and they'd come, you could see them way down there. Mm -hmm. And my mother, God bless her, even though we had a fucked up relationship, she was my mother, right? She loved me. She did the best she could, but she was fucked up herself. Yeah. Um, Just, from different issues. So when these native people would be coming closer, I would be getting yanked by my mom because they would see me. These older native guys would see me and they would talk to me because I was just this little kid and I totally connected with them. They're the only ones I felt really comfortable with because they're so nice to me. They'd always call me like, Hey, little brother, like, how are you? Right. They were so loving and caring, but they scared everybody else because they were the dirty yeah. bottle picking Indians, right? Right. And so mom would grab me and say, don't you talk to those people, which fucked me up because I was like, wait a minute. That, but that's. Yeah. Not that part of it, yeah. but like that's your. That's, 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 your that, that, that's, that's, your who, that's who I am. I, I, I am that person. Yeah. And there were other white families in my neighborhood, well-to-do families, because I, I was like a middle class, but there was also down the block, there were some people with some pretty big houses and it was like a nice neighborhood, right? So there were other families, white families that had adopted native kids and all those kids, they're either dead or in jail, prostitution, gangs, all of it. 
So how lucky do you feel? Well. In that sense. Well, I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> the percentage is pretty low to, yeah. to yeah. make it out normal or normal. Uh, and here, here's uh, the irony. Okay. Yeah. They all end up fucked up. Everybody would tell me, they would say, hey, Paul, you know what? But you're different. You're normal. What does normal mean? Exactly. I'd like to get this terminology. No, exactly. What, what the fuck is normal? normal? Well, at the time, I thought I was normal. But guess when all this shit starts coming out from this? It's a disconnect. Yeah. Okay. When people said, yeah, oh, but you're, you're, you're normal. You're fine. Well, outwardly, it may have appeared that way. It didn't dawn on me until years later that I had issues, right? And I didn't really realize that stuff until my ex, she had grown up in Regina. She was also Cree. We were together 10 years. And she was seeing a psychotherapist, Maureen Kitcher, who is a world-renowned psychotherapist. She's retired now. Well, Gail used to say to me, this is my ex, she would always say to me, she goes, you need to talk to this woman. Because mm-hmm. she had so every possible horrible thing that could happen to a human being, especially an indigenous girl, happened happen? to her. family violence, sexual assaults, getting raped, the poverty, all that stuff, all that stuff. When she was a kid in Regina, she hated Regina because when she was a kid, she'd be 11 or 12 years old. Beautiful woman, beautiful Cree woman, like gorgeous. When she was 11 or 12, white guys in cars would pull up. And go, hey, sweetie, how much? And she was like 12, 11 years old. Like this was her reality, right? So she was dealing with all this past stuff. And it was on a Friday night and I'm driving her to Kensington for her appointment with the psychotherapist. And she tells me, she goes, Paul, she goes, you are coming in and you're going to meet Maureen. And I'm a guy, right? So I'm like, oh, fuck, man. Fuck, I'm fine. (laughs) I, I don't need to talk to anybody. Right. Typical guy. So I go in, I meet this woman. I ended up talking to her for two hours. And she said, you know what? She goes, I'm available for you. If you want to talk about this stuff, guess who this woman's client roster was made up of 90% people exactly like me. They were all Aboriginal. They were adults and they had all been part of the scoop. Okay. So she told me it was there that she said, you know what? You're a textbook example of this. Everyone thinks you're cool. Everything's normal. And then guess what happens when you get into a relationship? Guess when things start to, and she always called it going sideways. When you're in your thirties. And when did I start to see her? When did we, I was just getting into my thirties and my drinking was getting really bad. It was becoming a problem. And then the cocaine came into it because I had friends that were partiers and yeah. right. And that became my issue. Right. And how do you deal with pain? You self-medicate. Yes. Okay. But here's the irony. When I was trying to find my family, okay. My boss, my news director and the assignment, uh, pardon me, and the managing editor said, okay, we've got ratings coming up. So we want you to do, a three-part series. There's just been this study published in a journal from this sociologist at the UFC about interracial adoptions. And I'm like, and this at the time, I'm just finding my family. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. 
like, where did this come from? Just like creator just said, here you go. I do this interview. I did a three part series. This guy was British. He himself, him and his wife, they had adopted two native girls. Mm-hmm. His study that was published in this world famous journal was about interracial adoption, specifically on white families adopting Aboriginal kids in Canada. And guess what his findings were? Guess what his conclusion was? Don't do it. It winds up in some form of family failure. Family failure was qualified as family breakdown, addiction, suicide, jail, prostitution, gangs, like all the worst shit. All these Native kids wound up. And that was a real eye-opener for me because I'm like, holy shit, I'm living that right now. And I'm just finding my family. It was real eye-opening. And when I found my family, everything was starting to make sense again. I was just beginning to find myself. But what was happening at the same time when this positive awesomeness was happening, the light and the dark, yin and yang, the universe, right? I had this beautiful stuff happening, but my personal life was crumbling. It was at that point when I was a reporter. Yeah, Everything was going great, but I thought I was just having fun. Right. And all my coworkers, my buddies who I hung out with, they were all, you know, we'd go out drinking after work. Right. And one of my really good friends get a serious, a serious drinking problem. But, and that's who I used to hang out with all the time. So my drinking increased. And at the time you you just think you're having fun. It's harmless. Right. Going out with the boys. And it was through certain people I knew who introduced me to blow. I remember being at somebody's house and somebody brought it out and said, hey, Paul, do you want to try a line? And I'd always refused. Mm -hmm. I'd been offered so many times before I had no interest. And I was like, "Ah, what the hell? Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did that first line, I had no idea the effect it was going to have on. The snowball effect. Literally and figuratively, the snow, snowball effect. But as I have gone through this life journey, I've realized that what I was doing is I was self-medicating. But that realization comes at the point when everything is out of control. Yeah. You lose friendships. You lose relationships. Um, I've lost gigs because, you know what, I was high at the time and I was too embarrassed to show up at a gig. Because you were too high. And I would avoid it. And then I would lie. I would come up with a lie. Oh, I can't make it at the last moment. Well... Who appreciates that? It's completely changed who I was. And that's that's a whole other issue yeah. and something I'm working on. Actually, something really beautiful and positive has happened to me recently and I'm not using it anymore. And my life has gone the exact opposite way. Congratulations. Yeah, I, I'm not kidding you, man. The, the, he, he knows about all this shit. I've told him everything. And now finally I'm getting, guess who's starting to come back? That kid that everybody loved. Yeah. That's been gone. Yeah. Effing's 40 show is sponsored by The Blind Beggar Pub, John William Wade Associates, and Tight Fit Drywall. Thank you for listening. All right, we're back with Paul Custer. Paul, it's a fascinating story you have, and, and we'd love to have you back. Very fascinating, yes. <laughs> we'd love to have you back for a second segment. Um, Fuck you. <laughs> So while we negotiate that, this is a bit uh, of a hostile guest for you now. <laughs> Why is he all mad at us now? 
I'd love to bring you back <coughs> and talk more about the news. Oh, no, for and, sure. And yeah. promote the book. But I, I kind of want to give our fans a little bit of a teaser of kind of the craziness of what happened. You know, and, it, you know, you went through your life, but the news happened. And, and it seemed like a lot of the what? news guys were... <laughs> All I can say is, what an experience, because you wouldn't be able to do this today, because the industry has really changed, okay? Back then, I had so much fun because the guys I was working with were still sort of old school, so they liked to to have a good time. And I was working a night shift, and I had already done my story earlier that evening, and I was all finished. I didn't have anything else to do. Well, there was uh, media hockey happening that night up at the rink way up in the Northeast. So I went to my producer and I said, Janet Lord, awesome, awesome lady. I go, Janet, I go, my story's done. It's edited. It's ready to go. There's nothing happening. I think I'm going to bounce and go play hockey. And she goes, Custer, go right ahead. She goes, there's fuck all going on. So I go play hockey in the dressing room after hockey everyone's talking about, okay, where are we going from here? It's going to go to the ship. We're going to the ship and anchor. Oh, God, the ship and anchor. Yeah. My buddy, cameraman, who was playing with us, he looks at his pager, and he goes, holy shit, Custer. He goes, there's about 20 phone calls from the station. And I'm like, (laughs) that's really funny. Like, fuck you, let's go for beers. He goes, no, I'm not kidding you. They've been calling he was already off work, so he was clear. Yeah. Well, if they're calling him repeatedly, something's going down, okay? So I'm like, eh, okay, hopefully it's nothing too major. I get in my car, and I'm driving downtown. I'm driving on Memorial Drive. Well, the women's emergency shelter burnt to the ground. And guess where it was? At the time, it was located right off Memorial and Edmonton Trail. While I'm driving on Memorial to Edmonton Trail, and all I can see, the northern sky is just lit up. There's this major fire, and I'm driving by. You're like, and who's standing there? I see the global news van, the, the live truck, and there's Chris Galis, who was the anchor. He was live at the scene. Guess who was supposed to be live at the scene? I was. <laughs> I was still technically supposed to be working, so I should have been there covering the story. I drive by him, and I'm like, that bucket beers at the ship. So go have beers. I get home and um, the next day I'm like, Oh fuck, this is not good. This is all over the news. Like it's like the big story. And I go walking into work like on eggshells and I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm going to be in major shit. I might get suspended. I'll get a letter of reprimand, whatever. Right. Nothing happens. So I finished that day. I'm like, fucking awesome. I'm going to get through it. Well, it was on like the Wednesday and Larry Day, who was the anchor and our news director at the time, he comes up to me and goes, yeah, Paul, can I uh, talk to you in the office? I was like, yeah, sure, Larry. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here it comes. He sits down. He goes, uh, yeah, I had to talk to you about the fire from the other night. And I go, fire? What fire? <laughs> and he starts laughing. He goes, you fucking idiot. He goes, you missed, like, the biggest story of the year so far. He goes, what were you doing? I go, well, I went to play hockey. And he played with us all the time. And I go, Larry, but it's okay. I said, right about the time the fire started, I was scoring a nice wraparound. So everything worked out. This is what I told my boss in his in his office. And he just laughed and goes, okay, Custer, get the fuck out of here. He goes, don't leave your post again before. <laughs> I was like, radio. 
That's awesome. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, Corey. On, and on version end. one. Of, uh, this is awesome, man. This is so much fun. Bring you back for more. It was nice. This saw, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying this, man. Yeah. Thanks so much. And yeah, stay tuned or keep tuning into the effing 40s. We're going to have more with Paul Custer. Probably at the opening of The Beggar, I think we'll uh, tee it up for then. Nice. Is there ways that people can follow you? You know what? I'm not a social media guy. I post everything on Facebook. That's the only thing I do. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on Instagram. I don't even have my own YouTube channel like for comedy. So I'm always being asked. I don't even have a website. Yeah. I like coming from out of nowhere and people go, fuck, who's this guy? And I get asked that all the time. I go, well, that's just the way I am. I really enjoy your shows. So thank you for coming. Thank you. And you can find us on Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and SoundCast.